Hey, besties. Thanks for tuning in with us. Life is hard. Families are weird. Work is tough. So this week we're talking about doing the best we can with uncovering LGBTQ plus history. Yes. So June is LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And today we have a very special guest with us. Deb is from History Unerased. So Deb, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Yeah. So Deb, do you want to kind of start by telling us a little bit about you, who you are, um, and why you co-founded History Unerased? Yeah, so I am, I always like to share that I am a former boots on the ground in the trenches classroom teacher. Um, I taught for three years in South Korea and then over a decade at a truly diverse high school in Massachusetts, working with new immigrant and refugee students, um, teaching them English, but using a lot of humanities content, history and social studies content um, to, to develop their proficiency. Um, why? Uh, so the, the path and process and the, or the path and progression to founding History Unerased includes many different spark plugs. And it, it's important to note that before the decision was made to co-found History Unerased, I was uh, guilty of a lot of self-censoring and, and dishonesty with my students. Now, working with new immigrant and refugee students oftentimes they immediately become a lifeline for the, themselves and their families. And because I taught different levels of ELL, uh, I would, might have some of these students with me for their entire high school academic career. And so I developed very close relationships with them and their families. And many of my students were coming from native countries that criminalized I'm using air quotes, homosexuality. And I firmly believe that if they knew that about me, um, it might compromise our purpose together. It might make them uncomfortable or their families. And so for many, many years, I firmly believed that my self-censoring uh, was protect protecting them. And I, I produced a couple of documentary films while I was teaching um, and the first one, Hard Truth, Levity and Hope, spotlighted six of our refugee students from Iraq, Burma, Nepal, Congo, and Sudan. And that was a zero budget film. And I worked with then junior student Connor Crosby on that film. And two years later, uh, Connor went off to, to college to study film. And he came back that first fall semester and he said to me, I have an idea for another movie. I am tired of the continued discrimination and prejudice against LGBTQ people, my friends and family, and I wanna do something about it through film. And I stood up, gave him a hug, sat back down and said, Connor, do you know that I'm gay? And he did not, <laughs> uh, which was, just a divine piece of irony there. <laughs> and so the way that that evolved was that we ended up interviewing students, teachers, parents, community members, and a pervasive message that I heard over and over and over again through the editing process was that the absence, the 
utter absence of LGBTQ identities in the curriculum was doing harm. For example, a student said that the absence of queer voices uh, made her very sad. And she felt that a lot was being left out. A teacher said that she came out to her students because she saw that one of her students desperately needed her to, and it was very scary for her, but there was nothing else in what they, they were teaching that could be relatable and reflect that young person's identity. A parent said that she was sad um, that her two sons revealed the fact that they have two mothers in a manner in which they regarded as private. And another teacher said that the absence of LGBTQ inclusive curriculum uh, was harming all students. And so hearing this over and over and over and kind of putting the pieces together that our curriculum system in general is doing harm by not reflecting all students' identities and what they're learning in school. And so this this self-censoring and dishonesty kind of shed away with my students. And I realized a, a true epiphany that I had disrespected their need and expectation for me to tell them the truth, that I had disrespected their capacity for sophisticated understanding and the evolution of thought that toward the fact that our public school curriculum system in general has been doing the same. And so a colleague of mine and I, Miriam Morgenstern, had very we scheduled, purposeful, intentional conversations about this problem and what we could potentially do to help correct it. And so for two years, we dug into the rabbit holes of research connected with expert historians and librarians and curriculum designers, um, and also tried to find other folks who were thinking of doing the same thing. And so it took us about two years to prepare the internal structure as well to leave the classroom and co-found History Unerased and dedicate ourselves to helping K-12 schools, helping educators develop proficiency and confidence to integrate LGBTQ inclusive academic content. That is, that is the work of History on Array. So we have uh, intersections and connections curriculum, which means we provide instructional resources, which reflect over six years of research and development and professional development that work hand in hand. And it's, it's a whole school approach. So we work with individual schools we highly recommend that it's opened up to full staff, including bus drivers, custodians, cafeteria workers, everyone. And we provide monthly office hours so that this package is a sustainable model to ensure that um, we stay tethered to, to the educators who are integrating this curriculum. Wow. So educator, film producer, co-founder of History Unerased, what do you, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> education curriculum wow you really have done a lot for your students for the community it's very impressive 
Well, thank you. There's a lot of work left to do. <laughs> That's amazing. And you already touched a lot about what history and erased is. And I actually have a few friends who are educators. So I'm going to ask this question for them. So if they're in schools and they would love to bring history on a race to, you know, their schools and their communities, how would they go about, you know, reaching out to you all and your company and start creating some sort of partnership between the schools? Great. Thank you so much for that question. If people go to unerased.org in the top menu bar, there is a contact button. And also in the side menu, there is how you can help. And on that page, there is text that people can copy and paste. It includes links that they can then forward to some decision makers in individual schools and districts. There's two names in mind that pop up when I'm Daisha. If you're listening to this, I expect you to be doing this because like <laughs> she's going to hear this episode and be like, I can do this. So I'm excited for that. And for, you know, having this conversation with you, I think she's going to love it. And I think of a couple other educators that I know that will be so on board with this as well. So you said her name was Daisha. Yes. <laughs> Daisha, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what the hell? I'm like, just trying to connect you, girl. Trying to connect our companies with resources, okay? I think my question is, how can we all be better allies to the LGBTQ plus community? So you have a great organization and resource, but for folks that may not be educators, what can we all do to be better allies? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. And we hear that quite often, actually. You know, if you're not in the education space, what can you do? And my, my best advice in that regard is to make efforts to learn more about the community and to get, and if you have like, I don't know how much bandwidth people have right now. I think everyone's pretty exhausted, but, you know, reaching out to LGBTQ groups and I wanna highly encourage groups that are supporting trans rights, that is, it. I, from, I just have to put this out there. If we do not center black indigenous people of color, trans women, we're missing the mark. That is a group that, that needs all of us to be on board to support them and help elevate them. Um, but also, you know, in allyship, if, if you hear something homophobic or transphobic, call it out. You know, calling it out is being really visible in, in your support and, and respecting the community. So yeah. I hope that helps. Yeah, and it's something simple that you can do, that anyone yes. can do. Yeah, absolutely. And visuals help too, you know, just stickers or pins or something that, that shows in a visible way that you are an ally. I'm asking this question now, Deb, because you talked a little bit about this when we, you know, asked more about history and race and the co-founding story, but um, being myself a Black woman when I was in school and like when we talked about, you know, when we had Black History Month and talked about Black history, you get the, the stars, the Martin Luther Kings and the Harriet Tubmans, but you don't really hear a lot about the unsung heroes and the people who are also standing up for Black people and our rights and all of that. Um, and I feel like there's a lot 
of that story also being told with, or not being told with history unerased. Um, and so I'm really curious about some people in history or some um, unsung heroes in the LGBTQ plus community that we don't hear about, that you think we should know more about, um, basically giving our listeners a little bit of a head start of people that they can learn more about after they, they finish our, our episode. Oh, I am so excited to share with you then. Uh, <laughs> you know, every child learns about Dr. King. Mm-hmm. They also need to be learning about Bayard Rustin, who was Dr. King's lead strategist. In fact, Bayard Rustin convinced King to remove the weapons from his home and employ the tactics of Gandhi in peaceful protesting. Bayard Rustin was a part of every major, you know, civil rights event that young people learn about. Rustin was also the chief architect for the iconic 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, the deputy organizer. Bayard Rustin also was an openly gay man. And despite the fact that he played such a significant role in the civil rights movement, he's absent from most history books, if not all. And interestingly, we we have a thematic unit on Bayard Rustin that looks at beyond the fact that Bayard Rustin lived as an openly gay man, what were the implications of that on Dr. King and that cadre of folks. Mm -hmm. Rustin was also one of the architects of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And uh, I I don't wanna get too much into the weeds with this, but one of the learning outcomes for students in this thematic unit is to look at the limitations of the public record and why people and events in history may be left out. So here's, Bayard Rustin, who also read the list of the demands after Dr. King's iconic I Have a Dream speech, carried the list of demands to the Oval Office, and yet his name does not appear anywhere in the official March literature. I know that's fascinating. There's another really cool piece of this too, is that President Obama posthumously awarded Rustin the Presidential Medal of Freedom and at the White House, the, the medal was given to Bayard Rustin's partner, Walter Nagel. And if we look back at the obituaries for Rustin, who passed away in 1987 from complications from appendicitis, Walter Nagel is listed as either Rustin's assistant and or adopted son. What? Which are both true. They're factual. They're factual, but is it the real truth? So in order for Rustin and Nagel, in order for Rustin to provide some stability and security uh, for Walter, they had to go through the adoption process. And that's not that uncommon. Now, I shouldn't say it's not that uncommon. It it has happened many times in, in history where that was the only avenue to provide legal and financial security for for loved ones for those same-sex partners i had no idea i'm literally mind blown (laughs) (laughs) this is like so crazy to me (laughs) yes bayard rustin and there's uh for those 
who are listening, if you Google Brother Outsider movie trailer, there's a great, there's a wonderful movie about the life of Bayard Rustin. And it's a, a short clip that, that illuminates how present Rustin had been throughout the civil rights movement. I'm going to have to do that. There's going to have to be like a little movie screening or something because my mind is yeah. so blown right now and I need to know more. <laughs> okay. And then check this out. Polly Murray, born Anna Pauline Murray in 1910 in, at Harvard, uh, Polly Murray Papers at Radcliffe Library. 95% of the Polly Murray papers have to do with Polly's legal writings. But there's a smaller treasure chest of Polly Murray's notes to self and letters to doctors, um, primarily in Britain, written in the late 1930s and early 1940s up until 1942, where Polly was clearly wrestling with either being intersex or trans and there were no possibilities for for Polly to attach to any language or concepts about that and so there's some letters that Polly wrote to doctors in in Britain who were doing some hormonal therapy treatments on men and Polly re requested that this be done um, for them as well. And there, there's also these notes to self are, are just fascinating where Polly's curious, inquisitive, deeply intellectual mind was trying to attach some, trying to comport themselves with something scientific far, far ahead of where we are today in, in that deep self introspection. There was, um, I don't remember what the surgery was that Polly was scheduled for, some type of abdominal surgery. And Polly wrote a letter to their doctor asking if they would examine their internal organs to see if there was an, an internal testicle. Just <gasps> oh so convinced that, that they were not in the right body. So, yeah. but those notes to self abruptly stopped in 1942. And, and Polly's, I have a dream to one day I know how wonky this sounds to develop a U.S. history course entirely anchored in the story of Polly Murray, Polly Murray's ancestors and last lasting legacy. And one of the thematic units we have on, on Polly is for the elementary level. And it looks at Polly's unwitting influence on the NAACP's legal strategy and Brown v. Board of Ed. And Polly was a, an author a lawyer, a women's rights activist, and an Episcopal priest. And there's a lovely short video with the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg talking about Polly's influence on her thinking, her, on her legal mind, mm -hmm. specifically dealing with Reed v. Reed, uh, that Supreme Court case. Um, but yeah, so, so Polly has had a profound influence on our world and we don't learn about Polly no. until now. <laughs> I'm glad it's finally happening. I'm like, these are all, both stories are so important stories that we, like I had no clue, like these folks were even involved in this journey and how far we've come. It's so, I don't know, I'm just like, 
I yeah. can't know about these folks. <laughs> Polly's writings are just breathtaking. And the essentially a memoir called Proud Shoes is fantastic. And also Polly's writing about Jane Crow. And that came from Polly's experience as the only female student at Howard University Law School in 1944. 1944 is when I, I believe early 1940s when Polly wrote about that intersection of, of living through Jane Crow. Abundantly relevant today still. Wow. I remember when I first met Deb, I had said, um, embarrassed that I had never learned about LGBTQ history, folks, anything in history growing up and that I repeatedly just kind of learned the same history over and over. And it was usually about the rich white man and that it wasn't until I even graduated college. And then I was actually at the museum in Washington DC and they had an exhibit on Stonewall. And I think it was the first time that I really had a lot of information in front of me. And it made me start to wonder, you know, why is, why is this first time that I'm learning anything about this? Why was this not included in my history? And then I also thought about all the people that I went to school with that weren't at this museum with me as an adult and weren't educating themselves. And did they even know that they needed to? So I think learning this history now has, my mouth has just been open the whole time you've been talking in awe of these folks that are so important in history, but never learned about or their names are not included. And so I'm really glad that we are able to kind of put this out there for people listening to to learn more yeah and that is it so many times we hear whether it's from teachers or students or community members when they learn about this history for the first time there's a sense of anger and you know incredulity like why am I learning about this for the first time incidentally as an adult um, after going through uh high school and middle school and elementary school and college and university and grad programs. Yeah, it's, and especially for young people, um, I, I think the anger is even more intense, but yeah. then also f- a feeling of empowerment, you know, whether they are LGBTQ identifying or not. I think more than ever, it's in, it's important to, to take the time to utilize resources, right? Like reaching out to you. I was like, you know, I want to take this upon myself. And I know Sadai and I were kind of like, what can we do to use our platform to educate others? And I think you're right. Like that stemmed from, I was embarrassed that I didn't learn about this before. This was the first time I was angry that I was confused. Why is this the first time? And I had a whole slew of emotions. So Yeah definitely resonates. Yeah. So a prompt to all of your listeners, why do you think this has not been taught? I think you can ask that about a lot of history. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. But you know, this past year has put such a glaring spotlight on issues of equity and let me rephrase that inequity that cannot be ignored any longer. The glaring spotlights are still there and, and, you know, it just, it's undeniable. The systemic problems that we have that are, and I'm just going to say this, we're still in reconstruction. Mm. We're seeing the remaining vestiges of Jim Crow. 
And, you know, if we, if we look at, and again, I'll, I'll say we, we have to center black trans women mm-hmm. in, in this work. And since it's pride month, I have to say this trans women of color have been the vanguards of the revolution. Even long before Stonewall, uh, there's the Cooper's Donuts riots, there's the Compton Cafeteria, there's a Black Cat Cafe, there's so many examples. So important. Um, I was wondering, I wanted to give you a chance, if you had any personal stories you wanted to share with us today, um, or any other kind of thoughts that you think are really important, kind of keynotes um, that people can take away from, from this podcast episode. Yeah, so there's one fun story involving a student. <laughs> we love these. So <laughs> there's many fun stories, but this one in particular just really takes home the, the value of teaching LGBTQ history to all students. Mm-hmm. So I had introduced a unit, I think it was on Bayard Rustin when I was still in the classroom. And Mohammed a refugee student from Iraq came up to me and said, after class and said, I need to talk to you, miss. And I thought, oh, shit. (laughs) And I closed the door and he said, miss, everyone in the world needs to learn about this. This can change the world. Oh my God. So he, several years later, I had left the classroom and doing this work with history and erased Mohammed had gone off to college. We stayed in touch via Facebook, of course. And he wanted to meet with me. And so we met and he said, I want to share a story with you, miss. He, all, all the students would always say, miss, miss, miss. <laughs> um, and he said, I, he told me about, in one of his college classes, he became really good friends with these two other young men. They did everything together. And one of the young men came out to Mohammed and the other as gay. And Mohammed said that that third young man completely disassociated with that friend. But Mohammed said, but what I learned in our class, miss, I could understand him better. And we became even better friends. And I thought, you know what, that, that is absolutely the point of this, to create better neighbors and friends. It's really that simple. That's a beautiful story. Yes, Mohammed is is lovely. Um, yeah, but a, a takeaway that, you know, just in a training recently with elementary, some a group of elementary educators, we were talking about where they were having an aha moment regarding the fact that even in kindergarten, they have at least one student in every class who will one day identify as LGBTQ. And in upper elementary grades, they have at least one student in every class who is beginning to understand that core piece of who they are. And and a profoundly important, enduring understanding that is pervasive in all of the work that we do and in all of the curriculum and all the training and we want everybody to know is that people who we label and understand today as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, any non-binary identity has always existed 
in every nation, in every belief system, in every ethnicity, in every corner and community of our world. And it's kind of a beautiful thing because those queer identities are vast and beautiful. Thank you so much for, for being with us today, for sharing your knowledge, for the work that you do, for recognizing that there was a need for history on a race and for putting in the effort to make it happen. I think oftentimes we see, we see a need for something, but it's a lot of work or a lot of time. And you were dedicated and put in that effort to really do something to make lives around the world everywhere better and more educated. So I am so glad that we were able to connect and to get to know you and to learn from you. And I clearly have some more research to do after we're done here today. But thank you so much, Deb. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both so very much. It is, it's wonderful to meet you and to talk with you. And thank you. Deb, I had so many aha moments today. So like, I know I got a lot of work to do, but I'm excited. It's, it's fun exciting stuff. And I have friends and family who are in this community and I feel like I should know just as much about their history as they should know about mine. So mm. I'm excited to learn more about them and we can have a little learning sharing circle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's the way to do it. Learning sharing circles. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Amazing. Well, as we enter the month of June and we want to take the time to give a shout out to our best deal of the month for May, actually. Um, so our winner this month for May is Melissa. Melissa wrote us a review on Apple Podcasts. So we just want to shout her out. Thank her for all the love. May was also her birthday month. So happy belated birthday, Melissa. You deserve it. Thanks for being a badass, great bestie for us. And if you want a chance to be a bestie of the month as well, all you have to do is write us a review and send us a picture to prove it. Tag three friends in one of our social media posts and get them to follow us. Or you can email us a story and share about how you are doing your best. The more that you do, the more chances you have to be featured on a next episode. Oh, thanks, Melissa, for being such a great bestie. And remember... Clearly, we are all doing the best we can. If you are looking for more information and educational resources, History Unerased is offering a special URL for our listeners. You can head to pride.learn.unerased.org slash register and sign up code with TD1G39. Of course. And if you have a story to share, like we said, please feel free to email us. You can email us at bestweekendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at bestweekendpodcast and on Twitter at bestweekendpod. We have new episodes that drop every Tuesday. Thank you again to our guest bestie, Deb. And remember, you're doing the best you can and your best is good enough. Bye besties. See you next week.